0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Hollywood Podcast, covering the latest in film, TV, streaming, and social media. I'm your host, Max Geshwind. Stay tuned for today's episode. All right, everyone, thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. And I'm so fortunate to have with me today the director of The End of Medicine, Alex Lockwood, as well as Dr. Aisha Akhtar who's featured in the documentary. Um, thank you both so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you so much.
0: Um, Alex, I want to start with you. Can you bring us back to the beginnings of this project and what gave you the impetus to take it on and then also how you found Dr. Akhtar for this?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, basically, believe it or not, we started making this film before the emergence of COVID-19, or at least before COVID-19 had been reported to be emerging. And um, I was approached by Keegan Kuhn, who's a producer on this film, with the idea. And I didn't really know anything about this subject. So I went away and did a lot of research. And as a result of doing that research, I was really frustrated that this information wasn't kind of common knowledge and wasn't being presented in the mainstream media, so that's you know that's where we really felt the drive to make the film because I think this is information that everybody has the right to access, basically. And um, I came across Aisha because as part of um, my research for the film, I was just reading as much and watching as much as I could, and I actually came across a TED talk um, that uh, she she'd done, and I thought, ah. Oh, it'd be great if she agrees to be in the film. And luckily she did agree to be in the film and has just been absolutely great and has really helped kind of form uh, the structure of of the film as, as well as be an interview within it.
0: And Aisha, when you were approached to, you know, join this project, what were your initial reactions? Were you so fortunate that someone like Alex was finally shedding light on this important issue?
1: Whenever someone like Alex comes to me, I say, yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I will drop everything to help um, in any way that I can, because this is such an important topic. And I think when Alex first approached me, <clears throat> I, if I recall Alex, um, I think that the brunt of the the, the main um, focus of the movie was going to be on antibiotic resistance. And, and then of course it switched to even, Beyond that, because it just happened to be so timely with the pandemic emerging, that it went into the movie. Focus shifted to even beyond a- antibiotic resistance, but to also include the origins of pandemics, infectious disease risk, and so on. And I, you know, I I'm a neurologist, public health specialist. I worked for. I was in the um, Office of Counterterrorism and Emerging Threats to the Food and Drug Administration for many years, and we, you know we worked with CDC, NIH, the military, Department of Homeland Security, everyone to kind of prepare for pandemics like this. But what was so frustrating is that no time did we ever ever discuss how these pandemics can arise and how to prevent them. And so when Alex approached me and said, Hey, I want to talk about this in this film, I was all on board with it.
0: You spoke Alex before about the timeliness of this documentary for obvious reasons. Um, Do you believe that given the pandemic, this sort of subject matter will gain a bigger spotlight that wouldn't otherwise have now that more people are, um, have gone through a p- pandemic that quite possibly was caused in a situation that um, is showcased in the film you know there is great evidence mounting that it was caused in a wet market in Wuhan which is you know a key problem that your film addresses so um, given the timeliness of it all, it, does that give you hope?
2: Yeah but well, it's a bit of a weird one because actually um, as, COVID was becoming um, more of a big deal I kind of thought well maybe actually our film is going to be irrelevant by the time that it's uh, finished production because everyone's going to be talking about this it's going to be common knowledge all of the news outlets are going to be talking about this stuff because it's affecting everybody and so I've just been really kind of frustrated to see that actually people still aren't talking about the roots of these problems and and we're very much focused on the firefighting, you know, vaccines, getting people on and off ventilators. And obviously we have to do those things, but you have to do them in tandem with getting to the underlying root of the problem, else they just arise again and again. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been quite uh, shocking to me that people haven't been talking about this subject um, within the mainstream media in the way in which they should be, really.
0: Mm-hmm. And something else that the film addresses, and you both can, either of you can speak to this, is how um, COVID-19 and the origins of it direct or closely relate so much to HIV and Ebola and how it originated. Can you speak to sort of that line that you sort of drew between past pandemics we faced in the past and the current one and how it, it sort of um, came from the same situation?
1: Sure. Do you want me to go ahead, Alex? Oh, okay. Sure. Um, So, we know now that we're seeing more emerging, new infectious diseases arise at a rate that we've never seen before, and three fourths of them are coming from other animals. But it's not in the way that you think. It's really three fourths coming from, I would say, the way humans are treating other animals, and that goes back to the to the film's topic: is that ultimately, it's the The animal industries, livestock, animal agriculture, especially factory farming, which is the source of 95% of the world's um, meat and eggs, egg products and dairy products, and the wildlife trade, which those wet markets in China is just one end result of a much larger wildlife trade that even the U.S. is a major part of. Um, And so... We, we have been seeing these emerging infectious diseases coming. Ebola came from hunting, butchering, and killing um, non-human primates, Same with, um, and, and bats, and same with HIV, came from non-human primates. SARS, the original SARS that emerged in 2003, also came. The first case was after um, a wet market in China, and we suspect that it was a larger wildlife trade in which bats are caught and um, civet animals or caught and the, the the virus passed from bats to civets then on to humans. Very similar to the scenario that may have caused the emergence of this virus, the coronavirus, um, SARS coronavirus 2, which is a cousin of the nineteen, um, the 2003 virus. So, and, and then on top of that, we've seen avian influenza's coming out of factory farms. Um, and we now have an epidemic occurring in the United States with avian influenza's H5N H5N1, which is called highly pathogenic avian influenza, which is bird flu, which is running amok among farms throughout the United States. The first case just emerged in humans um, in the United States two days ago, the first person infected with it in the United States. In and uh, to give you perspective, the coronavirus, the H the pandemic we're facing now has a sort of a key case fatality rate of between two to three percent, meaning about 2 to 3% of the people who contract it, die from it. Avian influenza, the, uh, when it first emerged in 1997, had a case fatality rate of about 60%. So 60% of the people who contracted that virus died from it. So it's we're, we're just seeing more and more of these infectious diseases coming around, and they're rooted ultimately to how we're treating animals in the wildlife trade or in animal agriculture.
0: Um, The film shares the adverse health effects on humans by consuming animals raised in this environment with infectious diseases. Can you share how, and this is for either of you again, um, but can you share how this contributes to decreasing one's antimicrobial resistance, which I know is so heavily covered in the documentary?
1: Do you want me to go again, Alex? Yeah. Or do you yeah, want to take no, that? You're probably best
2: placed. To- okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, no worries. So we know about 70% of the world's antibiotics are being pumped into animals in factory farms. I mean, you can't have factory farms without antibiotics. I mean, the conditions are so miserable for these animals. They're so tightly packed in these conditions. And um, so it's so, so easy for them to catch infections from one another because they're so tightly packed. And because of the stress and the distress they face, their immune systems are down. You know, it's like us, when we're stressed, it's easier for us to catch infectious disease. It's the same thing with animals in factory farms. And so at some point, the the livestock industry had noticed that if they pump low continuous levels of antibiotics into animals in factory farms, they help kind of keep these animals surviving long enough to turn a profit. And that's that's contributing to probably the single largest threat or the contributor to the antibiotic resistance threat that we're facing today. So on top of the risk of infectious diseases coming out from these factory farms, we then have a double whammy now with antibiotic resistance coming out because of factory farms. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's it's a huge public health threat. It's immensely distressing that our public health agencies aren't addressing this or governmental agencies aren't addressing this. They aren't talking about, it. the media isn't talking about it. And so it's, it's really important that people at least find out what they can, at least through this film, if nothing else.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, the film also shows some of the retaliation that those have to suffer by being whistleblowers. Obviously, Alice, who's, you know, the primary um, figure, Th- in the film, but also someone like Rudy who was terminated after um, showing you his uh, um, livestock. Can you, Alex, share the pushback that you felt from the industry when making this documentary and the incredible risk that whistleblowers such as Allison Rudy put themselves through by doing what they did?
2: Yeah, so the industry works very hard to stop people from exposing its secrets. Um, there are laws passed, particularly within the US, that say you can't even um, film within a factory farm situation undercover. You could get um, arrested for that. There are many, um, because of the lobbying industry and the power that this industry has over governments, it means that policies are kind of swayed by these companies. And so we live in a world where like the political landscape is heavily in favor of this industry which means that anything to do with it that's negative such as the health implications or the the way animals are treated is kept under wraps and um, as a result of that you see people like Alice um, who's our kind of lead protagonist in the film um, getting into uh, have being threatened with disciplinary action um, purely just for speaking about these issues you know, not for doing anything um, uh, more than that, just for saying what she's literally seen. And you have people like Rudy, who was, uh, uh, had his uh, contract to grow chickens taken away because he'd allowed filmmakers into his shed. So, and, and then you have, obviously, the fact that we tried to interview a lot of these uh, companies and these food producers and government departments and... Um, You know, we wanted to be open about what the film's about. We, You know, we didn't want to do any interviews where you just sort of surprise someone with a hidden agenda and catch them out. Uh, We wanted to give everybody a fair chance to speak in this film and present them with the difficult questions. And, um, you know, they pretty much unanimously uh, rejected the offer to appear in the film, which I think speaks volumes. So they really, really um, don't want people to know the problems associated with producing food in this way. And what I found on the other side, when you approach people like Dr. Aisha, um, you know they are really, really willing to speak out and they want to be a part of this because they want to kind of present the information. So it's kind of two polar opposites in terms of the willingness to answer questions on one side versus the other.
1: But we're always a minority voice, right? <laughs> um, it's, it's always the case. Um, you know, we've got another epidemic right now, as I mentioned, in the United States going on. Whether this will actually become a human problem, um, we don't know. I mean, we know enough that the, the bird flu has caused two human cases, and whether it becomes more rampant, we don't know. But we keep experiencing these threats again and again and again. And And the unfortunate reality is, is that we haven't done a single thing, not in the United States, not elsewhere in the world, not globally, we haven't done a single thing to prevent the next pandemic. And I want to get over this pandemic as quickly as everyone else. I want to get back to my life. I want to go enjoy myself. Everyone else wants to as well. We want to get back to having a healthy economic market and and, job security and things like that. Um, and and but the problem is, is that we're just going to keep getting hit again and again and again. Another pandemic, unfortunately, is around the corner and it's going to happen and it may likely happen from a factory farm next time.
0: Mm-hmm. Can either of you share any encouraging signs that you've seen now in terms of laws being introduced or passed in certain states or perhaps federal legislation that m- might be combating against this animal agriculture?
2: Well, um, what (laughs) I would say is I don't actually see any encouraging signs um, in terms of policy, Um, but I do see encouraging signs in terms of people being switched on to this subject. And obviously like we wouldn't make this film if there wasn't hope and if there wasn't a way out of this. And I think what I hope people take from the film is actually we have power as individuals and um, they take away from it that actually you can make positive changes in your own life that aren't insignificant and we want to basically give the power back to the individual and I think uh, Dr Aisha uh, said it quite well you know if we in the film she said I think it was like if we wait for our governments and these big companies to do the right thing we're going to be waiting a long time but we all have power right now and so. That's where I see hope, but not necessarily from a governmental point of view, to be honest.
0: Although the film does feature um, Mayor Eric Adams, the new yeah. mayor of New York City, who is a key ally in this, which is is great to see a vegan himself. Um, I'd love to know, Alex, because I know Rooney, Mara and Joaquin Phoenix serve as executive producers on the film, which I think is also incredibly important in shedding a spotlight and using their platforms to um, bring attention to this issue. And Joaquin's obviously been so outspoken for many years about this. Can you share how they got involved? Was it a project that they noticed you were working on after you started or how did that sort of come about?
2: Yeah, so basically we started making the film, then COVID happened. And as a result of COVID, Rooney and and they were in. I believe they were in pre-production on a very similar film that was going to touch on the same topics. And then they noticed what we were doing, and they said, "Well, it just makes sense that we kind of work together on this instead." And um, obviously, we were we were, we weren't going to reject that offer. And they they've just been like tremendous throughout. They've been super helpful. Um, I know a lot of. Uh, sort of celebrity execs just kind of come along and stamp their name on something and walk away, whereas they've been really involved and they've seen every draft of the film and given their feedback, um, and they've really helped kind of shape the structure of the film. So, yeah, it's been uh, just like a really, really cool experience working with them.
0: Yeah. And for my last question, and this is for the both of you, is can you share what the call to action is for viewers after watching the film. I know you both mentioned earlier how it really is on the individual. So can you explain what the individual can do after watching this film to make a difference?
2: Did you want me to go, Aisha?
1: Sure, if you want to go first.
2: Okay, yeah. Um, uh, We think that basically what the data suggests and and, um, the science leads us to this idea that we really have to change what we eat and what we consume Um, and really where we treat animals kindly and we treat um nature in a respectful way that's where we see the benefits and where we don't do that that's where we see these negative health implications and the simple way of putting that is to say that where people can and most people who are watching this film can um we should switch to a plant-based diet and um change what they consume so that it's in line with um, being something that is not cruel basically. And that's that's sort of the what we're trying to get people to understand in making this film. And we're not sort of um, pointing the finger at anyone in the audience and saying, you must do this, you must do that. And uh, we, we're trying not to be pushy, but more so just saying, here's the information, um, and here's the data. Um, now go and make your own decisions, really. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I- and,
1: and just to add on that, I mean we've we've narrowly defined health. We think of health only in human contexts. But we have to expand that definition and we really have to think about planetary health and well-being and the well-being of other animals and we're we see now i mean with the pandemic has told us the pandemic one way or the other came about because of our treatment from animals climate change the environmental destruction animal agriculture is one of the single largest destructions of the environment and uh producers of climate change and so we If we want to survive as a species, we want to thrive as a species, we have to stop looking in this vacuum of just looking at human health in its own context. And we really have to look, I mean, let's say we're in a post-COVID era. We need to now really redefine how we want to be with other animals and create a new relationship with other animals and with our planet. I mean, it, 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 in my TED talk, I said, basically, what's good for other animals is good for us. And that sounds Pollyannish, but it's pretty much true. When we save other animals, we save ourselves. And by just simply changing one plate of food over another, each one of us can reduce significantly reduce our risk for strokes, heart disease, cancers, diabetes. We can help prevent the next pandemic. We can really curtail climate change. And we can save thousands of animals, each of us. And so, you know, we don't have to wait for our government to do the right thing. We can each do the right thing ourselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to chat with me and congrats on the success of this film. I think with the ongoing pandemic and now this bird flu as you mentioned Aisha um, now arriving in the US this is a film with a message that's just as critical now as ever. Um, So thank you both so much for taking the time to chat.
2: Uh,
1: Thanks so so much for having us. Thanks so much, Max.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in. Please take a moment to subscribe to The Hollywood Podcast for free on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Until next time, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Max Geshwind. Thanks for listening.